iPhone charger won't reach my bed. I hate when my leather seats aren't heated. When I go to the bathroom and I forget my phone. La mettez radio dans machine à laver, yo commence santé. I hate it when my house is so big. I need two wireless waters. When my megan makes my hot water taste too cold. When I have to write my maid a check, but I forget her last name. M'paka écrit message dans ma machine en même temps. Mon te quitter casse-moi en bas. Moi raï les voisins bloqué internet là. I hate it when I tell them no pickles and they still give me pickles. It's a perspective. When we see that, uh, that video, we, what, what you're observing are, would be third world context, first world problems. I want you to think about that. I remember when our first um, ministry training student came from Rwanda, Africa, Bernard Bukiana. How many of you remember Bernard? Uh, he's now married, has children, involved in ministry in both Sweden and Africa. Great, great young man when he came. Uh, just so good to be connected and hear and learn his story. His mother was from the Tutsi tribe. His father was from the Hutu tribe. And if you've ever seen the movie Hotel Rwanda, which I would suggest, it's very intense and graphic, uh, but it's the story of his life. And suddenly, this um, incredible outbreak took place, and these two tribes began killing each other, and ultimately, the, um, the Hutus uh, began to destroy the Tutsi tribe, I believe was the way it went, but it was awful. And so, he began to share with me what it was like to be a child growing up and watching that. And he, he told me that, you know, he didn't have a pair of shoes on his feet until he was 11 years old. And I just thought, I don't know that I have much of a framework to understand a world context and perspective. Would you agree with that? Uh, this is a really important thing for us to understand today with what we're going to talk about. And so I want to challenge you to really uh, think this through. And you know, I'm talking perspective. So uh, let me just ask this question, and I want you to think about what your answer would be had I asked you this last Wednesday. You didn't just see the video, and you didn't just hear me talk. But if I would have asked you last Wednesday and we would have come together and I would have said, raise your hand if you're rich, how many of you would have raised your hand? And so a sparse few people would have raised their hand if they were rich. This is what I want to challenge you to know. If your household income exceeds $34,000, then you are in the wealthiest 1% of the world population. The wealthiest 1%, 99% of the world population is in a lower income bracket than you. Now, processing that information, seeing what we've seen, how many of you in this room are rich? Raise your hand if you're rich. you got to understand, you are rich. You are rich. I believe God really wants us help to, to help us understand something today. I want to show you something from Scripture that's a really unique uh, perspective. And I want to just ask the Holy Spirit to help us get free from distractions and really focus in on what He has to say. How many of you know God has something He wants to talk to us about today? He wants to talk to each of us individually, and He wants to talk to all of us corporately as a family. 
So, Lord, I thank you that you are at work to get our attention, to gain our affection, to awaken us as a part of a plan to change the world with your love. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to not only value and appreciate that transformation has happened in our lives as we've come to know you, but Lord, then we are awakened to be a part of this very important process of world transformation in Jesus' mighty name. All the people said, Amen. So we are talking about, and this is the last week for this, the financially activated church and what that really looks like. And I want to point your attention to a very interesting portion of Scripture, 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 18. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. We're going to pause there. Because I want to first make sure you understand when I read this in Scripture, and it says, command those who are rich in this present world, when we see that in the Bible, we just concluded very clearly we are rich. This is talking to you. How many of you know I have a responsibility here to talk to some rich people according to Scripture and what God has to say? And so, you know, you might be rich if you stand in the closet and you look at your work clothes and your casual clothes and your uh, your work like job clothes, your outdoor working clothes, your workout exercise clothes, and you look at all those clothes and you say, I don't have a thing to wear. You might be rich if your car has its own bedroom in your house and it gets to sleep inside rather than outside. You might be rich if your kitchen has all the counters and everything that you, uh, you, know, you need in there and you tear it all out just to put new counters in that look better and look nicer. I mean, when you really start thinking about contextually what's going on uh, with us, it's really uh, unique to consider the fact that we are so rich. Now, this says wealth is uncertain. Wealth is uncertain. Did you, did you read that? Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Wealth is uncertain. But we talk about being, uh, you know, financially secure in preparation for our future, but yet there's something of uncertainty. We read the Bible says about wealth. So wealth is uncertain, and I, I, in all of this research that I was doing years ago, I actually did this on a, a Easter Sunday morning, and I kind of took everybody by surprise. The place was packed out, and, uh, and I just said, hey, welcome everybody, but we especially want to welcome all the rich people. Will you just help me Sunday morning, or Easter Sunday morning, will you just help me everybody clap and say celebrate, you know, thank you rich people for being here. And of course, everybody was just kind of looking around like, what? And, uh, and then I began to explain, like, we're all rich. We're here in this nation. We're rich. Even the poor people in this nation are rich compared to the population of the world. Do you understand perspective? But let's evaluate this idea, wealth is uncertain, because when I was studying all this out back in that day, it was interesting. Gallup survey asked the question, what is rich? What is rich? We, I, I bring um, Caden, my uh, next door neighbor, I bring him in, and I ask him this question on the drive this morning. I said, Caden, what is rich? What does it mean to be rich? What, what would you say? Like, how much money do you have to have before, it's, before you're rich? Because you have a mind, something in mind, you have a, a thought in mind, what, how you would define somebody who's rich. Because uh, this Gallup poll, this Gallup survey, they actually asked people who made $35,000 a year, what does it mean to be rich? Who is rich? Are you rich? 
You know, they're in the top 1% of the world population. How many of you agree? Honestly, sincerely, that's rich, right? That's rich. But they asked them, are you rich? And you know what they said? We're not rich. And they said, well, if you're not rich, then what is rich? And they doubled their income. And, and the average polled person making 35000 a year, they were asked what is rich. And they said, well, it's not 35000 like us. It's actually 75000 If you made $75,000 a year, then you would be rich. So they continued their poll and their survey. And they then polled people that made $75,000 a year. And they asked them, are you rich? What do you think those people that made $75,000 said? We're not rich. And so they asked them, well, if you're not rich, what is rich? How much money does someone have to make before they are considered to be rich? And those people responded who made $75,000 a year, and they said, well, if we made $150,000 a year, we would be rich. So then they continued this survey, and they went to the people that made $150,000 a year, and they said, are you rich? And they said, we're not rich. Readers of Money Magazine were asked, what is rich? What does it mean for somebody to be rich? How much money does someone have to have to be rich? And they said, readers of Money Magazine said, to have $1 million in liquid assets, you would be rich. So they polled people who had a $1 million in liquid assets, and they said, we're not rich. So they asked them, what does it take? And, they, and their response in the poll $5 million in liquid assets. That would be rich. You know what the conclusion is? And let me just be a little political with you for a moment. Rich seems to always be somebody who has more than I have and should do more to help more people because I can't do what they can do. I just want you to know you're rich. You are rich. You are blessed. You are rich. You are empowered by God to make an impact in your world. And you have a responsibility, and I have a responsibility, and we have a responsibility that we would leave the world a better place as a result of our existence together as a church family. Jesus set this tremendous example, this tremendous example for us to follow of sacrificial life and sacrificial death that other people would understand life and not have to die. You and I have the capacity and the ability. I'm not just talking about your finances. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about some of the pain that you've walked through. Jesus walked through the pain he walked through and died so that you and I wouldn't have to die an eternal death, but we could have eternal life. And the pain that you have walked through in your life, listen, come on, that's the stuff you need to be willing to share with others because sometimes people need to hear your past so your past doesn't become their future and you've been willing to share and be vulnerable about the pain that you've been walking through. Your greatest purpose sometimes is revealed in your deepest pain. Are you willing to allow God to have every component of who you are, every experience you've ever had in your life? It really is important that we understand. And then this verse of Scripture, it goes on after we understand the uncertainty of wealth, and nobody can really understand what wealth is, and nobody seems to think they ever have enough. That's the uncertainty of wealth. That's what the Bible's saying. But then it goes on. And again, we're commanding rich people not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain. And it goes on, it says, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Isn't that interesting? I, I read that and felt a little uncomfortable with it. I was thinking, I'm not, I, I mean, he richly provides with everything for our enjoyment. What he's saying is God wants your life to be awesome. 
How many of you know we've been learning about that this year? God wants your life to be awesome. You're created to flourish. God wants your life to be awesome. But that truth comes with a trick. And that trick is he doesn't want you to pursue an awesome life for yourself. He wants you to provide an awesome life for others. Now that will make your life awesome. That's exactly what this goes on to say. It says, God will richly provide everything for our enjoyment. Command these rich people to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share, making it happen for others, making it happen for somebody else. Take what God has put in your life and make it happen for somebody else, and that will transform the world, and you will find what fulfillment is really all about. You and I are empowered in a very remarkable and unusual way. I want you to think about the planet for a moment, not just your neighborhood, not just our society. I want you to think about the planet, the entire globe, global population. You and I are empowered in a remarkably unique way to make a huge impact in the world in which we live. And your reward in heaven... I'm going to talk a little bit about your reward in heaven, but I want you to hear very clearly. Your reward in heaven is not based on how much you have. It's not based on how much you leave. It is based on how much you give. Pretty important that we understand that. Command these rich people to be rich in good deeds, to do good things, to leave the world a better place. Command them this that they would understand this great obligation that they have. I want you to understand something about who we are as a church family and the way we function. Uh, we have 30 days of destiny. Every month on the first Sunday, we do a 30-day review. We're going to do that a little later this morning and show you what's happened on this campus in the previous 30 days. A glimpse. In no way can it show you everything. Uh, lots going on all the time. But I want you to know, we're not just making a ministry impact locally with what happens on our campus. We're making a ministry impact through a variety of uh, community entrance scenarios that we have. Uh, Pastor Chris is uh, pie in the face, fun, exciting, you know, student pastor, works as executive member with our team, and a lot of wonderful things here, leads chapel services for a Christian school, does a lot of those things. But he's also the president of the Chamber of Commerce, and he's also the facilitator for DelQuest. And many of us on staff have a variety of roles, official titles and roles, even within the community. Do you know why? Because the Great Commission is not y'all come. The Great Commission is y'all go. And we want our team, our leadership, to set that example and not just stand here hoping everybody shows up here, but we are going out to make a difference in the world around us. There are many people that attend our church that have this in their heart as well, and they're community engaged and community involved, and we're making impact as we empower you and inspire you with what God has placed within you, awakening that in you, that you're not just out doing a job trying to get everything you can to have a great life for yourself, but you're learning what it is to really make a difference in the world around you in everyday life. Everyday life. I actually had a, a prominent political figure in our community come to me last year, and he said, you know, you're not my pastor, but I want to ask if you would be willing to do my funeral when I die. You know, he didn't come and ask me that because I pastor a church. He came and asked me that because we've connected 
and had crossroads connections in the community, and he saw something in my life, and I saw something in his life, and we began to form a friendship, and through many exchanges and connections, come on, that's exactly what God's calling every one of us to do. What are the people that you work with? Think about your life. Are you willing to pray for them? Are you willing to be available to them? Do you give them the little thank you cards? Why don't you pick up some thank you cards this week and pick three people in your workplace and just tell them something specific that you think that you thank them for? Be specific. Criticism is more powerful than gratitude because criticism is more specific than gratitude. Generally speaking, when we thank people, we thank them generally. We should thank them specifically so that it carries the same weight and the same power of the criticism that they're having in their life. Take some time to make a difference in the world around you just as a lifestyle. It's just who we are as Christians. It's what God's called us to do in a lifestyle of impacting people around us. None of this happens. Do you understand? This is our expression as a church to empower you in that regard. And none of this happens if we don't give. And so that's why you see the pledge cards, and yeah, I'm talking to you about your giving, and we unashamedly proclaim that it is we have no outside funding to be who God's called us to be. It's only through our giving that we exist. We're not going to pass buckets because it was just something God spoke to our hearts to trust Him and to empower people to really know what it is to worship God with your giving. I know a lot of people have voiced how much they appreciate that. We've also had some critics uh, on that, and, and the critics typically are the ones that are saying, we could do so much more. Pastor, if you would just let us pass the buckets and there would be more money coming. I want you to know it is not about more money. It's about more discipleship. It's about awakening something in the hearts of the people. And that is our devotion in this place. So thank God you can invite your friends and family members and they're not going to have buckets that they pass. And it's fine for other churches to do that. This is just something God stirred in our heart to evaluate and to take a look at so that we're taking an approach that honors Him, dignifies others, and awakens the church. I want you to know, church family, we have a great responsibility financially because of that. Every single one of us. Paul told Timothy, talk to these rich people. Talk to these rich people. Help them to understand what God's calling them to do. You can't take it with you. Have you heard that before? You can't take it with you. I just want you to know that's not true. I know, we're in a standoff now. I challenge the common perception, and you're waiting to hear the answer to the riddle that I've presented. You can take it with you if you understand true riches are relationships. True riches. You can take true riches with you. Your reward in heaven will not come from what you have. It will not come from what you leave, uh, but it will come from what you give. And when we give, lives are changed. Lives are transformed. And you can take people with you to heaven. Did you know that? It's the only thing you can take. We can win people to Christ, and they can spend all eternity with us in heaven, and we can enjoy this conversation of all the sacrificial lifestyle that we lived and the things that we did to help other people get there, and, and we'll find out some of those designations. The Bible says very clearly God's actually going to give us our reward and praise and appreciation for the sacrificial lifestyle that we've chosen to live, and we'll see the fruit of that, which is, to, I mean, this is amazing when you really stop and think about this. Listen, this life is a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. This is a, a smidgen of existence in the scope of eternity. And you and I need to recognize for the century that we possess, that we're entrusted these years, it's setting in motion that which will last forever in all eternity. And we have such a great responsibility and such a great privilege. 
True riches are relationships. God is all about people, and so should we be. Have you ever invited somebody to help you do something, and you knew that they were not actually going to contribute to getting that thing done any faster, but you were inviting them because you cared about them, and you just wanted to take a mentoring opportunity with them? Have you ever had that experience before? You're inviting someone in to help you. I remember when my girls were were little, I would invite them, hey, why don't you come help dad? And you know, it would take three times as long as if the, get out of my way, kid, I'm just going to try and get this done right? You, you've experienced that before. Uh, not too long ago, I invited two guys over to my house to do some, some work outside, and I knew that they probably weren't going to really, you know, do a home run job, and they did not. And, uh, and I wound up getting out there and, and helping them help me for a long, and then paid them money to do it. And, and I was doing it not because I really needed their help. I was doing it because I cared about them. You know, that's really something that I think we all need to understand God's not just about getting things done. God is about doing things in you. See, God's on this mentoring venture. How many know God could get it done a lot faster if He just did it Himself and excluded us in the process? Can you imagine how frustrated God must feel sometimes? I mean, I don't know what that emotion looks like in God, you know. I mean, smack my head. You know, I, if I were God, I would kill everybody. <laughs> like in the first five minutes, it is over, you know. You too. You, you don't think that, but you too. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, and if you, the, that one's gone. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. If you were God, but somehow God is love. God is patient. God is kind. God is awesome. God is, we're not God. God is God. He loves us. Yeah, we ought to celebrate His love for us. We ought to just clap our hands and declare. We receive His wonderful, amazing love. How frustrating it must be for God when He's seeing so much potential and the capacity that exists within us. And if we would only get it right, if we would only understand, then what could really be unleashed in the world? But that's where we need to recognize, please hear this, God's not about getting the job done as much He's about doing a work within us. It's not about what we do, it's about who we are. And what we do actually only gives God the opportunity to make us more of who He wants us to be. That's what that avenue becomes. I mean, it, it, we, we miss this largely in this rich nation where we're very performance-driven and, and results-minded and, and, you know, profit-focused, and really the bottom line is all that matters, and so much more than that. Exodus chapter 3 shows us this, and I love this portion of Scripture. It's God's conversation with Moses, and He said, The Lord told Moses, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out, so I have come to rescue them. Aren't you glad God came to rescue the Israelites? And Moses, standing on the backside of this desert, after everything he'd gone through, I mean, to look at God, well, that is awesome, God. Go get them. Why are you having a conversation with me? Well, he explains, he said, I've come to rescue them, to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey, so go. I'm sending you. You get that? I, I read that one time, and I just thought, now that is funny. That is hilarious. You see, we are looking for a move of God. God is looking for a move of man. 
He is the light. You are the light. We are the salt of the earth. We are looking for a move of God. God is looking for a move of man. Even if he can do it without you, he chooses to include you because he's not just trying to get it done. He's trying to do something in you, and that's a part of the wonderful plan of God. We're hoping Jesus will change our world, and Jesus is hoping we will change our world. It's not one or the other. It's both of us in a cooperative effort. Was it, uh, was it eye-opening to you when I shared the number one killer in the world, contaminated water could be solved with $10 billion, according to the United Nations, and $30 billion would solve world hunger. So for $40 billion, we could alleviate human suffering on a massive scale all around the entire planet. And if North America tithed for one year, if North America tithed for one year, we would be able to solve both those problems with $40 billion and have $110 billion left over. We would have $150 billion next year if North America tithed. What kind of world awaits the obedience of the church? And I can't control everybody else, but I can control me. So let me ask this on a more personal level. What kind of a world awaits your obedience in your world, the five-foot circle around you, not the 25,000-mile circle around the planet? The Israelites came out of Egypt, and they had the gold of Egypt in their hands, not so that they could do another Egypt out in the wilderness that centers around giving praise to God, that wasn't what was going on. They were trying to do what God was asking them to do to establish His work in the earth. It wasn't to emulate Egypt. It was to give birth to God's kingdom. And all that gold that came out of Egypt was actually used to establish the tabernacle that would ultimately then be used to establish the temple to establish the work of God in the earth. The riches of this world are purposed to be transferred into the hands of the righteous. Ecclesiastes chapter 2.26 is what I'm quoting. The riches of this world, the wealth of this world is purposed by God to be transferred into the hands of the righteous that the work of God would be established in the earth, and the lost would be saved, and the blind would see, and people that don't know Christ would come to know Christ, and you can take it with you, and we can take it with us, and we will take it with us, because true riches are not about money. True riches are about relationship. Come on, it is all about people. It is all about people. And this verse this interesting verse in 1 Corinthians 4, it says, God will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and He'll expose the motives of our hearts. And at that time, we'll each receive our praise from God. God, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. And God says, praise you. That's weird. I mean, that'll mess with your theology, won't it? God's going to praise you. You're going to receive praise from God. It'll help you understand it from this standpoint. When I was in college, I was Pedro in uh, Man of La Mancha. And uh, it was a really wild play. I'd never been an actor before, and they, they said, uh, hey, we've, the guy dropped out. We don't have anybody. Would you come audition for the part? And I went over, and I talked to the, the, the director, and I said, uh, hey, I, I came to audition for the part. And he goes, it starts next week. You got it. And I guess it didn't matter if I was good or not. <laughs> 
because I don't think I was very good. But I was, I was, you know, Pedro. I did the best I could, and and Don Quixote, and you know, we we did this whole thing. I was the really bad guy. I was the ringleader of the bad guys, and and so I wasn't a Christian yet, and I fit that role pretty well at that particular time. And so all this happened, and at the end of it all, we did our performances, and at the end, we did this huge cast party, and and the director got up and said, "I just want to say thank you, thank you. You did a great job when you were Don Quixote. You did a great job. Thank you to everybody who moved the set around. Thank you, everybody. Called out my name. Thank you, Lawrence, for coming in at the last minute and." Stepping into that role, the, the production was a great success. It was a wonderful cast party. After the production was over, we had a cast party where the director said thank you to everybody who worked so hard to make it possible. And after the production of This World is Over, there's going to be an eternal cast party where God, the director, says thank you, Bill and, and Gwen. Thank you, Kylie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You made this thing a success. You helped perpetuate what I initiated through the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, and the kingdom of God. Come on, you ought to celebrate today. He says, thank you for your participation in what he desires to do in the earth. What is that going to look like in our lives? And this is the thing that I realize, you know, God is constantly bringing us back to an understanding of what it is to be the church and the family of God in the earth. Because that's clearly God's priority. Jesus died to establish the church. As much as many of us in the room have wanted at times to kind of give up on, I mean, church is messy. How many know church is messy? We've had to walk with various church leaders through some terrible scenarios, bad decisions they've made. People in the congregation, bad decisions. I mean, church is messy. But God never gives up on the church. Jesus didn't die so you could go to church. He died to establish the church so we could be the church, the family of God on the earth. And this is part of the plan of God. That's why we're here this morning. There's some sense of devotion in in you, and I pray that God will deepen that conviction within every single one of us to understand what our role and our responsibility before God is in being the church in the richest nation of the world, in the top 1% of humanity on the planet. What does that look like for us? And I just want you to understand, every time you give, every time you love, every time you serve, every time you help, any time you greet, any time you tutor the underprivileged children that we we bust in on Thursdays. Anytime you're helping with anything that's going on, the trunk or treat, thank you everybody who worked so hard with all that. Every time you do anything to express to our community that we love, we care, we're here, then there is something that gets credited to your account because of who we are as a church making a difference in the expression of Christ to our world. And in fact, it's really interesting to me, but you and I are called by God to leave a legacy that will continue to perpetuate the love of Christ well beyond us. God wants us. You, you, you're tracking me, right? God wants us to have a church family that is spiritually well, financially strong, and truly ready to take on the next generation declaring God's kingdom is going to expand. You hear me say often the, you know, the, the home for unwed mothers and the Destiny Dream Center and different things that we have, you know, that God's just kind of given us tremors. And what does all of that look like for the next generation? I don't really know, but I want to cooperate with every potential tremor. God might be stirring in our hearts that we're leaving the biggest footprint impact of Jesus Christ in this community and the communities of the world that you and I could possibly do. Part of your call, 
means to make this church family strong. And as we watch this just 30-day review, I want you to think about the magnitude of what happens in the course of the year with this just being 30 days. We're, we're just going to look at a 30-day glimpse. Magnitude of what in the course of the year and in the course of a generation of the ministry that God has called us to in this place. ask for help someone who is going through your battle or someone who has already beaten that enemy your purity is precious and your heart is beautiful so guard them if god tells you to do something even if even if it seems small and insignificant do it anyway Thank you for your leadership and thank you for your commitment to this church. Your family walks the line of balancing truth and spirit so beautifully and it's an incredible example and an honor and privilege to serve alongside you.
on. Would you just say thank you to everybody? The people sitting next to you, so thankful. Such a great expression. Every time you give, every time you love, every time you serve, you're helping perpetuate and release something that God has awakened within our hearts together as a family that's leaving the world a better place. And that gets assigned to your life. It's really awesome. Like, not just in this generation, but you understand even in future generations, you're contributing to bring that to pass. That will be assigned to our lives as well. It's incredible. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Tremendous generational plan that we are a part of. I mean, you know, people, people provided before we arrived so we could be positioned to provide for those that will come after us. So, I have a confession. I have been horribly distracted. Um, I, I laugh and say funny things when the microphones don't work, and I kind of know how to lighten that. But I, I cannot tell you how distracted I've been this morning. <clears throat> I, uh, this week, had a little procedure, so I've got stitches in my head. And uh, I normally have this vein that bulges when I start preaching really hard. Uh, I just want you to know, your stitches start pulsating when you're preaching really hard. So I kind of feel sorry for that vein. I'm glad it stays in there. But every time I would start preaching hard, I would think, oh, God, just slow down, you know. Uh, but I'm just saying that to say I think it is really important that we're authentic about everything. And, and what I have to say to you as we conclude is so important. I just want to admit to you, I might not have brought the very best that I could have brought this morning in this service. very kind of you. Thank you. The thing that I want to um, challenge you with, as much as I can present to you with the right heart as possible, there is no agenda here. There is no agenda. We want to lift up the name of Jesus. We will lift up the name of Jesus. <laughs> But we do that as we as a family do what God's called us to do. I know some of you aren't necessarily into the whole pledge card concept. But I just want to ask you, really seriously consider. On here you'll see, you know, it's talking about serving. It says tithe. These are the categories on there. Tithe, building, serving. And then you put your name. And you can tear off the little end just to help you you know, be reminded to pray because prayer really makes a difference. But what I, what I want us to do, and the reason we took a little more time here at the end, because we've only been in, we're only in about 45 minutes or so when I started the video, we've, we've got some time. But I want to ask you to, to help me and join in and let's worship together in the continuation of worship. 
expressing anticipation of all God desires to do in the atmosphere of this church, in the atmosphere of our city, the atmosphere of our community, the spiritual climate that He's entrusted to our care as we worship. Let's really engage our faith. And I want you to, to have some sense of focus of, of what this symbolizes as you worship. This symbolizes the resource of your life. And it's not about this, it's about Him. But there, these are just pieces along the journey that help us lift up His name more effectively. And so what I want to invite you to do is before you leave today, you can do it during worship if you'd like or after we conclude. We'll conclude at the very end. But I just want you to uh, drop those in the giving stations. And maybe you'll do that as an act of worship. As we worship, there's communion here at the back of the centers uh, if you want to do that in the next few songs. But but don't 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 rush out. Let, let's fulfill our assignment together as a family in this place of worship, in this space of worship. Will you stand? <laughs> I love you. I really love this family. Thank you so much. You all are so gracious. Uh, you know, when I share a moment of weakness and you all give a standing ovation, I don't understand you sometimes. But I really appreciate you. You ever say that to people you love? I don't understand you sometimes, but I really do appreciate you. Lord, I know that your love is what drives us to be more of who you've called us to be. And I pray, Lord, in all of the conversations that we've had in preparation for Pledge Sunday and what that looks like in preparation for our 2019 giving, Lord, some of the projections that we'll make as we start to look at those figures and anticipation of what you're desiring to do this next year. I pray, Lord, that each of us would see what our role and our peace and our part is, whatever that looks like as our ministry to you. Not our obligation to man, but our ministry to God. And we thank you, Lord, for your generous nature that has awakened so much within our soul. It will cause us to want to be more like you. Help us, Lord to allow that to be the driving force in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's take a little time, just press in as a family, and let's worship the Lord our God.